Cool. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, no, sorry about that. How are you guys doing today? We're good. Good. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I have nothing exciting to report. I've been working all day. (laughs) I did not have an exciting day. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's pretty much how it goes when you work for yourself, right? Is that most days end up like that. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. Although I love that you get to take um, masturbation breaks, like, (laughs) and then put them in your spreadsheet. Your spreadsheet is like my favorite spreadsheet of all time. Aw, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And spreadsheets are all pretty good, so... That's true. I mean, yeah, spreadsheets in general are great, but spreadsheets to document your sex life, I personally think. When I was seven, I was given a file cabinet for Christmas, and, (laughs) like, it still is viscerally my favorite holiday I've ever had. So I'm just saying, I have a particular appreciation for organization. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely understand that. That's amazing. You're the perfect guest to be on our show. I'm so excited. Yay! (laughs) Yay! Well, I'm really excited to talk to you guys and to talk about yeah. humiliation. Cool. Let's yeah. get into it. I'm going to do our little intro here, although I, th- I think the show has already started. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, welcome to the Dildork Storky Discourse on Sex, Dating, and Masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex blogger, a sex journalist, and humiliation is one of those kinks that I don't think I have, but it's really fascinating to me, which makes me think maybe I do have it a little bit. Who are you, friend? <laughs> I'm Bex. I'm a sex educator and a sex blogger. And yeah, don't all kinks start out with like, no, no, I'm not into it. It's just interesting. <laughs> Right? It's just an academic just, level. I'm just curious yeah. about it a little bit and maybe want to do it all the time. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to read everything I can find about it, which is how I discovered our guest today, the amazing Princess Callie. Hi, Callie. Thanks for joining us. Yay. Hi, Kate and Beck. So excited to be here. <laughs> so I became aware of you because you were on Tina Horn's podcast, Why Are People Into That?, which is one of our favorites and you were talking about humiliation and I feel like every time I listen to an episode of the, that podcast I'm like oh now I get why people are into this thing and now I might be kind of into this thing <laughs> <laughs> and hence Tina's mission goes on and on mm-hmm. so I started reading your book which is called enough to make you blush and it's about erotic humiliation and I, I have not finished it yet but I'm learning so much uh, but I'm curious to ask you like right off the top like you were a pro dom for years. You've played with so many different kinks. Uh, what is it about humiliation specifically that appeals to you so much? That it's psychological and that there can be an entry point for nearly anyone and that um, the, the dirtiest thing I carry with me is my mind. I don't ever need any other tools other than the um, delightfully twisted creativity that I apply to humiliation play. (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah, I've never really thought about that before, that you really don't need any kind of equipment. It's a very, like, low-maintenance kink in a way. (laughs) Exactly. And it really just pulls entirely on creativity, which, and not to say that, you know, tools and stuff, we kinksters love our our tool bags, myself included, but um, (laughs) I've always been interested in consensual psychological manipulation (laughs) and so (laughs) humiliation is really the zenith of that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's fascinating because I've always described my kinks as like more psychological than anything else uh but it for a while I thought humiliation was if not a hard limit at least a limit for me like I was like oh but I don't want to feel bad during kink things oh yeah oh I don't know and then uh, recently I've like kind of started exploring it and I think part of that is I have more of like a long-term DS thing going on so I've been doing DS with my partner for over two years now so I'm like okay but like maybe be mean to me sometimes we can talk about that that's fine <laughs> exactly right within boundaries I think that's such a common experience Bex in that you know most people think of humiliation as you know, degradation, cruelty, 
you know, I know people that are into some hardcore bondage and impact play kind of stuff who just are like, but I could never (laughs) say the things that you say. And I'm like, you literally just beat the person you love until they are purple. Like, (laughs) you know, we just all have different ways of expressing these things. And, you know, safety has a lot to do with how deeply we're able to explore these things because there are not the same sort of physical markers that we can keep our eye out for. So a lot of people are trepidatious about, you know, tap dancing on land, on psychological landmines because you have to hope that the person you're playing with on both side is like self-aware enough to hopefully see a problem coming. And that's just, you know, that's a lot to ask of anybody, I think. Mm-hmm. So, so there's mm-hmm. a lot of natural nervousness but my hope is that my book and you know the things I talk about can help people to find that entry point yeah I definitely noticed just like in my everyday life that like I'm not as good at recognizing when some kind of emotional episode is going to be coming on whereas like if something physical is starting to happen to me like I'm starting to get sick or I'm about to get my period or something I feel like I'm much better at like recognizing that but if I'm about to have a depressive episode or even if I'm about to like get overwhelmed during a conversation and like burst into tears. I'm not as good at like recognizing those signs and predicting that. And that, that makes humiliation play feel a little bit scary for me that maybe I wouldn't be able to anticipate some kind of strong reaction I might suddenly have. Sure. Well, emotional language, we're, we're just not given, most of us are not given as much experience with emotional language, you know, Mm -hmm. unless we, kind of particularly take that into our lives, either through therapy or, you know, kind of just self, self awareness, growth kind of stuff. Um, and, and, and emotional words can be harder to pinpoint than physical language. You know, we, we, in the kinky world, uh, one of the things I talk about all the time is about how we focus so much on the activities, I think, because they're easier, right? Like, negotiations tend to be focused on what do you want to do Mm -hmm. instead of how you want to feel when in reality even when an act when a scene is based in and rooted in physical activity you're still trying to achieve some kind of an emotional mindset Mm -hmm. you know through those actions Mm -hmm. so we just need to I think become more and more comfortable with the words to describe those those inner feelings and not just like, I like it when you spank my butt because it stings. Although obviously (laughs) that's useful too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you talked a little bit about like, that you don't need tangible tools for humiliation, but obviously like the language you use around it and everything, you do kind of have a tool bag of language the same way someone who's into spanking might have, you know, 15 or 20 different paddles, right? You have all these different words that you can call people and use to describe them and everything. And I'm curious how you negotiate just like what kind of language or what kind of things you're going to humiliate someone about. Because you don't want to go too far, but you also don't want to be like, you're so short. Because I'd be like, yeah, 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 actually. You're like, yep, accurate. Really called it. Correct thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you know, this really is one of one of the biggest obstacles I think that people find even once they decide, okay, yes, I'm interested in exploring humiliation play, which also encompasses embarrassment and degradation, which are kind of, you know, like in they're not kind of, they are intensity levels. Mm-hmm. And so there's two important things. I'm gonna give you the nutshell version. And I am going to encourage people to read my book because I can go in, I go into these concepts more deeply, but Two, two things are really important to understand. The first is that each individual person has cultural context mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. where their fetishes or kinks or sexual arousal interests are rooted. And this is why you can't just say, like, pick random things and hope that they're going to create erotic, you know, humiliation-based arousal because everybody has very different experiences. The common um, example I use is if you put certain kind of cisgendered men who are very masculine and very like, oh my God, I'm so heterosexual. If you put those men (laughs) in satin panties, they're going to have a certain kind of cultural experience, Mm -hmm, not because mm -hmm. of the actual physical sensation of satin, which really has nothing to do with anything, 
but because of what it means to them. Whereas if you put my like more genderqueer, um, exploratory, submissive wimpy in a pair of satin panties, he's like racing around like, you know, a fabulous little prissy fairy because he's like, <laughs> I'm in satin panties. Look at how cute I am. Mm-hmm. And so the action itself is not what matters, but but your cultural reference point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is the important thing to understand. And the 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 matrix of what that could be is so vast <laughs> because human <laughs> nature is vast, right? But that's kind of the, the, the foundational concept. And then the other thing in terms of words, because language can um, turn a scene on a dime, right? Somebody mm-hmm. says that one magical word or <laughs> phrase and your entire body just turns to like magic dust. <laughs> Or they say that one thing that you just weren't expecting and it's like being turned to stone, right? Because Mm -hmm. words are incredibly powerful. So it's important not to make assumptions that that certain words will be sexy. Slut is, you know, people think, ooh, you know, I'm going to call him a slut and that's going to be great. A lot of people have a lot of baggage, like real baggage around the word slut and it could be really negative. Mm -hmm. And so... um, I have a tool for this. It's called the Verbal Humiliation Scene Starter Deck. I like to joke that it's like your pocket pervert thesaurus. Um, (laughs) uh, But you really can make your own with like a set of index cards, right? Like this isn't the car salesman pitch. The idea is that you have something concrete that you can use to explore language. And so like my cards have different phrases on on each of the cards and as... One of the negotiation tools, um, I use that deck to give my partner and say, um, pick out some cards with phrases that I can that, that you love that really make you crazy. Or pick out some cards with phrases that I should not go anywhere near. Or pick out a card that describes how you're feeling about yourself today. Because that can give your partner a lot of um, ability to communicate without that whole pesky saying the words out loud thing that can trip up so many mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like uh, nonverbal methods of communication like this because in addition to helping with anxiety about like saying the actual words, it also makes it feel somehow more magical when they do pull out that, that wonderful <laughs> phrase. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that happens to really do the trick for you. It makes it feel like they were reading your mind, even though you definitely gave them the tool for it. Which yeah. is which is exactly how kink should be, because, you know, we all want these magical experiences, but they cannot be plucked actually from our minds unless, you know, <laughs> we're playing with Professor X, which, sorry, pardon me right now while I have a whole moment to myself about that. Um <laughs> Ooh, hadn't thought of that before. So, um, you know, this idea that we can use tools to support each other in getting what we need, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because as, you know, if I'm playing submissive in a scene too, it can feel kind of like heavy handed to be like, gosh, I'm such a desperate slut, right? <laughs> R- right? That's the thing that I, Yeah. Great, good, okay. Yeah, that's what I am, great. Like, watch me humiliate myself. Good, now just say it again. Good, great, (laughs) go team. Although I gotta say, for a lot of dominance, that would be an absolute gift because (laughs) it is so hard to use these words. We, you know, most of us don't spend a lot of time saying the kind of filthy shit that gets us off in bed. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of us do, (laughs) but, um, but most people don't, right? And so, you know, a lot of times having a dominant, having a submissive that does know what works for them, if you're if you're playing the dominant or on the dominant side of things, have them humiliate themselves and, you know, have them practice with the tone of voice, not even just the words, because that can really change, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the meaning and you can just learn so much and you're not even doing anything. It's what I call the a lazy tops guide to an efficient and sexy scene. <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, I've been experimenting with switching lately, and every time I can find something that I'm just like, oh, I just I made it sound like I was being clever, but really I'm just making you do all the work. Great, yeah. Good. Like anytime I, I can did, find I that, I'm like, oh, this on is that, idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a win-win situation as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Yeah. 
I was just reading the part of your book where you talk about why topping from the bottom is not actually the bad thing it's often made out to be. And I found it so affirming because I am totally the sub who tells people quite vocally what I would like them to do to me and how I would like them to make me feel and stuff. Like usually not during a scene, but sometimes. And I found it really affirming to read what you said about how like that's actually a gift for a dominant and that's really helpful to know that information because like that's always how I've felt about it. Like if I was doming, I would want to know what someone wanted. But people get so weird about that. People do get weird about it. And it's, I think there's like a couple of reasons for that. One, dominants are told that they're supposed to get weird about it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I granted I've been around for like, um, a while, um, and I remember coming into the scene and people being like, you know, you better watch out for that topping from the bottom. <laughs> and I could just, you know, naturally hear the dun 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 that someone <laughs> was going to burst in and take my dom card away, and um, I wasn't going to be a real dominant. And so I think a lot of people who are just finding their footing and finding their their authentic dominant confidence. They are concerned about that. But but I also do like to make sure to clarify that intention has a lot to do with it, right? Like, I've had submissives that essentially emotionally blackmail me to get what they want. And that's not cool. That's topping from the bottom. That's just being an asshole, actually. Mm-hmm. We don't even need any, like, fancy BDSM phrases for it, right? Like, <laughs> if you present things that you want, as in, if you don't do it this way, I'm going to hate you forever, Mm-hmm. Then I could see some problems with, you know, I certainly would struggle with that as a dominant and as a person. But what you're talking about, Kate, where you're really sharing what's happening in your head and where you're you are presenting it to then be used mm-hmm. as the useful and, you know, um, sexy information against you. I I think a lot more dominants need to open themselves up to seeing their submissives as a resource that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there are ways to do it that don't, that can still make the person feel dominant. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like even recently I was like super embarrassed about something I had gotten off to. And my sir was like, you know, oh, what was it? And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to talk about it. And he's like, yeah, I wasn't asking. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly. And I felt instantly super subby. And he just got a whole, like, story of the things I fantasize about, which I'm sure will come up later. (laughs) You know, I love the confessional. The confessional Mm -hmm. can be a scene in and of itself. The confessional can be, you know, there are so many different ways to explore that kind of energy in terms of journals or texting or secret Twitter profiles where you, <laughs> you know, post your filthiest fantasies without necessarily having to do a, like, kind of Q&A, will you do this, yes, I will, sort of thing. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that the most important thing is finding the ways to to share that information because otherwise the bottom line is that you're both just denying yourself a bunch of pervy fun for some sort of weird like mythological logistical commitment and that's just there are better things to commit your energy to I think totally yeah (laughs) I wanted to ask you about small penis humiliation (laughs) Yay! Um, yeah, because I just, uh, I, I work with a, an adult industry marketing company, and I've just been noticing like a ton of SPH stuff over the past few months. I don't know if this is new or if I'm just noticing it now. But to me, that's like the perfect example of something where someone might look at it and be like, how can you possibly enjoy that? Like, how can that possibly feel good to you? Because like penis size is, you know, this thing that's supposed to define a man's prowess and like value as a human it's this like hugely important thing in our culture and to have someone humiliate you like I can kind of understand why that would be sexy and also at the same time I can't understand it at all so like I wanted to ask you about like why would that be hot yeah well it it is an excellent example of humiliation play because it ties in what I mentioned earlier about cultural context, right? So the cultural context around body image mm-hmm. and particularly for um, men is that big cocks are better. 
mm-hmm. that's, you know, supposedly standard issue, acceptable advice. Obviously nonsense, just just from a basic average, you know, like, hi, I have a cervix. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. There are lots of reasons why bigger is not always better when it comes to cock size, but that's the cultural context and the cultural touch point that most men are brought up with. And mm-hmm. then that leads me to what is what is really what I consider to be the um, definition of erotic humiliation, and that is arousal tied to traditionally negative experiences. Mm-hmm. And so, so it really gets to the heart of what emotional uh, erotic humiliation, embarrassment is about, is that A, the touch point, the cultural context is that you're supposed to have a big dick, and so if you don't, then that's going to be something that we're going to actually subvert and recontextualize to be the thing that turns us on. So, like, sex in general doesn't always make sense. And BDSM <laughs> sex superficially does not make sense. Like, we hit each other with sticks and mops for crying out <laughs> loud. But like, you know, um, but it does make sense when you think about the attraction to psychological drama. Mm-hmm. And so for me, small penis humiliation really ties into all of those things at this really, really primal level that allows men who would otherwise genuinely feel bad about the size of their penis, even when they should not tech, they shouldn't. Um, and it allows them to turn it into something positive and something that actually can get them off. Like for an efficiency slut like myself, <laughs> I think it's such a delightful way to subvert what we're taught about our own bodies. You know, mm-hmm. that's so Does interesting. That any sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking <laughs> yeah. about it. Um, like I was thinking about my my very limited experiences with humiliation in preparation to talk to you. And one of the experiences that sticks in my mind is I had this cam show client who used to want me to like berate him on cam and tell him like how unattractive his body was. And he was like chubby and I'm chubby. So like, I don't know if that was the reason that I struggled with it or if I'm just like not good at doming, but like I, I kept, I kept being like, y'all. Yeah. I was like, Sorry, keep going. Just saying, that's not it. It's not because you're not good. <laughs> okay, thank you. I was like, I mean, you have like chubby thighs, but like I'm sure you're trying your best. Like, I, <laughs> I didn't know what to say to this guy, and I could tell that I wasn't giving him what he wanted. But it honestly felt so hard for me because I almost felt like I was like talking about myself, and I was thinking of how much I would not want to hear those things from anybody else, and it was really hard for me. I feel like he probably didn't get his money's worth from me. <laughs> well, that's okay. Um, you know, we all we all have disappointing pasta at a at restaurants sometimes, you know, whatever. <laughs> people do people and we're all doing their our best. But I would mm-hmm. say that a couple of things. Um body image is body image and intelligence. Um so I actually, Kate, you probably would appreciate this. I did a survey in preparation for my book that is still up and I've collected something like over five hundred um, responses wow. about humiliation um, and kind of what people are into and why they're into it. And um, I was really committed in my book to sharing not only my experience, because I'm a, a cisgendered white dominant female, and those are all things that shape my experiences that I wanted to have um, quotes and statistics from other people to, in you know, because this is all so personal mm-hmm. and body image and intelligence were the two by far least popular ways to do humiliation play. So I always caution folks about leaping to body image stuff because they think it's going to be easy to humiliate when in reality, a lot of us, most people have some kind of a body image relationship struggle right mm-hmm. that they need to work mm-hmm. through um and so so body image can be something sensitive not only for the person that you are you are humiliating but for yourself as well because like you're saying it the words are in the air <laughs> like they're not <laughs> the only ones that are swimming in that air you're swimming in that air too yeah um and it's important for dominance to respect their own boundaries and limitations i find that 
dominant limits and dominant triggers are not as talked about um, in the general commentary around BDSM and they are particularly important when you are doing this kind of play because you can trigger yourself mm-hmm. just as easily as you can trigger your, the other person with the stuff that you're doing or saying. So, you know, the experience that you had is really understandable um, in that, you know, you're trying to like find a touch point and you're like, but your chais are delicious and I, I they're, but, but also horrible, <laughs> horrible thighs, um, you know, and so, okay, I kind of lost the thread there, but, but the two main things being that, you know, body image can be a really hard thing to play with mm-hmm. on both sides of humiliation exploration and that dominants do have to respect their own limits but to understand that what somebody is asking of you it is unidirectionally focused Mm -hmm. and that is just like all BDSM behavior the same way that I will might consensually slap somebody in the face in a BDSM scene but I'm not going to just walk up to them and do them that way Words have boundaries too, and the words Mm -hmm. stop being true or being exchanged at a certain point, and that that can and should be maybe part of the negotiation that you have. Obviously, when it's a pro scene, there's you know they just want you to like degrade them without a care, but it's that's hard to do when you are an actual ethic ethical person sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you talked about this a little bit when we were talking about SPH and then a little bit about body image stuff. Um, but I'm curious, so obviously kink is not therapy and it's not a replacement for therapy, but uh, some people can find scenes to be like somewhat therapeutic and can work through stuff that, like you talked about, people who would normally have a lot of issues and a lot of anxiety around their penis size find it really helpful to explore that through humiliation. Uh, I've noticed, as I explore humiliation, I've been drawn to some stuff that uh, I had encountered in past relationships that was, like, really, really negative for me, and then reframing it in a humiliation scene where someone's making fun of me for the same stuff, but, like, I know it's not true when my current partner says it. Mm Yeah. Um can be really helpful so I'm curious if you can like talk a little bit about how people can use humiliation play to kind of work through shame and uh, things like that yeah definitely to reiterate kink can be therapeutic but is not therapy that is I think is such an important phrase in BDSM education yeah. and understanding in <laughs> general um, and particularly when it comes to psychological play or humiliation play, there is a specific dynamic that is different. And that mm-hmm. is this this dual nature aspect of um, the larger meaning. So let's take, for example, the word slut. Okay, so um, like I was, I, I kissed a boy when I was 14, one of the first in my group, and was that was it. I was a slut forever. <laughs> And, uh, you know, like forever, I was immediately impregnated by three different men with triplets. Like it it just got out of control so quickly as it does. When I was being called a slut in middle school, they were saying it to be hurtful. They wanted Mm -hmm. to tear me down. And a lot of super, uh, a lot of humiliation play and really BDSM at large. But if you look at it superficially, it does. It looks this. It looks like we're trying to tear somebody down, right? Like one of the mm-hmm. common um, misconception comments that gets made to me uh, is stuff like, you know, well, I just could never be mean to my submissive. They say as they've tied them up for four hours and you know had like <laughs> metal clamps on all of their tender bit. <laughs> but, but that's it. It really goes to show how powerful words can be and and the kind of dramatic impact that they can make on us you know in in a very deep and real way and so when people are are saying these hurtful things or doing hurtful things to us without this consensual erotic framework it feels shitty and we don't like it mm-hmm. when we then take those exact same actions and we pair it with the other side, this dual side to this experience, which is also this acceptance and support 
and at the very least affection um, because I, I have played with so many people through my professional and lifestyle career that I may not have had a love relationship with, but, but the kind of affection that you have to have to kind of have these sorts of consensual, you know, interactions, that is the part that changes the action from the, from something that is negative and damaging to something that can actually be healing and um, and can help you come out on the other side feeling like you had a bit more control over it, even if you were on the submissive side of things, because this time you agreed to it mm-hmm. and you had some sense of guidance or control over what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's where you can you really can, again, recontextualize these experiences or words or meanings because of the dual nature of acknowledging and exploring that larger meaning but also having this foundation of trust and communication that in my book I talk about the five key elements um, the differences between abuse and and uh, kink and it's um, uh, consent context communication uh, intention and trust mm-hmm. and those five things are critical because the intention of some people is to destroy you while the others is to just dirty you up and then bring you out the other side feeling delighted in some form or another. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, it reminds me of people I've spoken to who have been through sexual trauma and then have found it healing to sort of replay maybe almost the exact same situation, maybe even in the same location, but with a trusted partner and in a consensual environment. And they found it rather than triggering, maybe actually healing. And I find that so interesting. And I think it's it's interesting to consider that you could do that uh, with mental acts of kink as well as physical ones. Yeah, I think it really speaks to the elasticity of the human spirit and the human and human meaning to mm-hmm. to things um and just want to but want to reiterate that that it's not something that you just kind of want to dabble with right it's something that you want to if, if you are specifically intending to delve into traumatic experiences you want to make sure that you're playing with someone that you have played with before that you have a baseline of experience and understanding with, and ideally even perhaps um, with the guidance of a kink-aware therapist. I know that's not always possible, but, you know, um, it's not something you just want to be like, so let's reenact your rape. <laughs> yeah. Like, you free Thursday? <laughs> like, that's not that's not the approach, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier about Uh, people being worried about being mean to their submissives and like that's definitely a feeling I've had the few times that I've had partners want me to to say humiliating stuff to them um and I would imagine that it gets easier with practice but like do you have other tips for like dominance wanting to get into humiliation but kind of trepidatious about it oh totally um (laughs) yeah definitely um first is say the words say the words when you're driving say the words when you are in the shower, say the words, when you're doing the dishes or gardening, um, practice the different ways you can say the word, right? Because the word slut has a lot of versatility depending on do you say it strict in a strict way, slut, <laughs> with, with, right? With, with some disdain, do you say it teasingly, hey, slut, <laughs> right? So you can kind of get, get, more comfortable with words that you are likely not using on an everyday basis. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is to create some kind of an external resource because you are not required to be the perfect dominant and the perfect kinkster. And um, you can create supports for your dominance so that you can actually put the energy where it matters, which is in the pervy, fun, sexy interactions with your partner. And so using something like my card deck or um, creating your own card deck so that you have a t- an actual verbal tool mm-hmm. to refer to, that will give you a lot more confidence when it comes time to just break out some filthy new phrases. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. That is great advice. And I also wanted to ask you about 
aftercare. It's something we like to talk about a lot here. And of course, there's a stereotype that dominants don't need aftercare. Um, and I would imagine that aftercare is probably more intense for humiliation play. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, on all counts. I, I have been um, so pleased over the last few years as I've heard the, the the idea of dominant aftercare be just talked about in a more general way at conferences and, and in other classes and that kind of stuff because, you know, for, for decades and decades, it was often framed as, you know, oh, the submit, this poor little submissive who's just gone through this trial <laughs> needs to be petted and fed chocolate. And I'm like, excuse me, do you have any idea how much effort I just went into and the kind of psychological <laughs> taboos that I have just had to muck around with and the 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 absolutely magnificent orchestration <laughs> of your psychological drama to achieve the kind of yeah where's my chocolate yeah. so you know I think that it, it is important for us all to acknowledge that we are putting a lot in order to go into these experiences, even when they are simple in activity, we never know the kind of emotional um, energy that it takes. And I don't mean that in like a, a bad way, but I do know that, that for a lot of dominance, because the level of energetic expectation is so high, it can start to feel like an obligation. And that's when mm -hmm. it can be hard to be the one to always be the person either orchestrating or instigating the play and to always make sure that I'm taking care of the other person's need. And so particularly when it comes to messing around in the kind of psychological struggles that people want um, in this, it is really important to think about as the dominant what you might need. Um, like for me, when I was a pro, um, I, I required an actual thank you note. And this was after they had paid a fairly substantial, um, <laughs> you know, door fee just to get in. And um, but to me, that wasn't the same thing as being genuinely and personally appreciative for what I as a human being was bringing together in order to create this experience, this this you know, rare and challenging experience for them. Mm -hmm. um, and so some, you know, not every dominant is going to feel that they need something and it doesn't have to be as formal or protocol driven as a thank you note. It could be something as having, you know, quiet time with your submissive resting their, their cheek on your knee. It could be a hug. It could be watching Doctor Who for an hour while you nibble on, <laughs> you know, your favorite potato chips. There could be mm -hmm. any number of things. But the critical part is to understand that these experiences that we're crafting sometimes hit us hard immediately and sometimes take a while to hit us. And mm -hmm. again, that's true for both sides. And so it's important that you set in as part of your aftercare to both, for both of you, a check-in point, you know, a couple of days or, or, you know, even up to a week afterwards to see if there's any stuff that's kind of been creeping into your psyche that needs to be talked about. Mm -hmm. um, because that's the way to have to continue to feel good about what you're doing. And that is, of course, the ultimate goal. Totally. Yeah, I think I think the King community puts dominance in this weird position where they're almost like, you look at it as if, like you were saying, like the submissive went through this huge ordeal, right? And the tops are almost viewed as like there to provide that ordeal. Cursory. As if they're yep. just like, yeah, like they're just service providers. Um, and then you think about like, oh, but if they if they enjoyed too much beating the crap out of this person and saying really mean things to them, oh, what does that say about them as a human? Like, why <laughs> did they like that so much, you know? And like, I think it's a really interesting, like, psychological gymnastics that we expect dominance to be able to do, right? Because yes. And you want them to enjoy being there, but also maybe don't but, like, enjoy being awful. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, and we gotta know what you want, but don't like be too obvious about trying to get that information. And you've gotta <laughs> get the place started, and then make sure that it, you know, follows this very dramatic arc, and that it all gets wrapped up. I mean, is it any wonder that like a lot of dominants are kind of like, you know, can we just skip to the Doctor Who part? <laughs> I have had theoretically pervert phases in my life where 
it's just too much. <laughs> it's just too much. And so I'm a subleaning when... switch because I'm lazy. Like, <laughs> no, I like... think that could be a pretty frequent um, phrase, actually. Yeah. And and yeah. I think too that this is part of where when we let go of this idea of topping from the bottom, and when we la- when dominance allow our submissives to be fuller partners, and when submissives step up to the plate to be those partners, you know, you, it, it starts to feel more like a collaboration. I say all the time, actually, and you can get a, you, we have kink Academy stickers now that say kink is a team sport. Yes. <laughs> you know, you have to be in it together. You have mm-hmm. to be working together, collaborating to reach your goals. And, and orgasm is not always everybody's goal and that mm-hmm. that has to be okay too, you know, but that regardless of what your goals are together, Spend some time figuring it out and then work to get there together. Mm-hmm. And dominance don't just expect submissives to like do everything and vice versa. Like, you know, everybody has has effort to put in to have deliciously perverted play. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Very well put. So you mentioned Kink Academy in there, and we definitely wanted to talk to you about that because that's one of my favorite resources for kink stuff. It's so good. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it's it's so great. Um, so can you just tell us? First of all, you'll explain it better than I ha- than I could. Can you just tell everyone a little bit about like what Kink Academy is and uh, what y'all do? Sure. So Kink Academy is kinkacademy.com is the largest and original BDSM video based um, educational resource, and I founded it 10 years ago, um, after being a BDSM educator for a number of years and seeing, you know, all my friends teach these really incredible kinky classes at conferences and, but then realizing, you know, if you couldn't get to these conferences or you couldn't get to these sex shop classes, then that you just were somehow denied all of this incredible sex education. And Mm -hmm. I just thought that was bullshit. And so, um, I started off 10 years ago by shooting with uh, educator friends that I had, and we now have worked with um, over 160 experts and educators and doctors and therapists, and uh, we have over 2,000 videos, including some that I brought over recently from the sister site, which is passionateyou.com. And so it really is just this incredible video library from all these different perspectives on how to engage in a hugely varied creative sexual adventures, relationship adventures, gender adventures, um, and uh, trying to just give people bite-sized bits of information and techniques that they can use to improve their lives. I love it so much. Like one of my favorite activities with partners is to like go through together and just watch whatever's piquing our interest and then try some stuff out or just uh, watch things for entertainment. Like it's it's such a great activity to do with other people or to do by yourself. Like there's just endless information on there. Yeah. Thank you, Kate. That really means a lot to me because it <laughs> it's it's, you know, the it has been a labor of love. It is a very small indie website. Like it has literally been me and a handful of freelancers over the years that have built and created this resource. And it really comes from such a, um, God, even God, what you just said just even made me a little emotional because it, it <laughs> means so much to me when people are using it in this realistic way in their lives. You know, I mean, I love porn, yay porn, but porn is not about realism and porn does not show people how to have these kinds of experiences at home. And so for me, mm-hmm. the the most important thing about Kink Academy was having um, diverse, inclusive people teaching in non-intimidating environments in a way that that can help you to like approach it in a much more fun, lighthearted, playful sort of way. So thank you for sharing that with me, Kate. I really appreciate <laughs> it. It literally never gets old to me to hear from people that have have used Kink Academy as a resource like that. <laughs> I, I really love it just because it's really caters to my learning style. Like I love books, but I 
don't retain information that way nearly as well as I do sure. seeing like an actual yeah. video. Yeah. Um, and what's great is that your videos, um, they're not porn, but they're also not like super clinical. Like they do show yeah. a lot of the different kinks, you know? Yep. So you can actually see things in action and be like, oh, so that's how that would play out rather than trying to parse out a paragraph describing something, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. That one of my favorite series is um, a blowjob series that we have where our yes. educator, Mikkel, is doing this really incredible demonstration where she is showing deep throating. But she is but she's not doing it in a way that is intended for like arousal for her partner. She's doing it in a way and kind of as the cock slides down her throat and as she's kind of choking she'll say notice how I'm leaving my (laughs) mouth wide open and it's like it's this incredible moment of of learning and like demonstration and accuracy like all (laughs) happening all at once um which you definitely can't get in a book I'm a book lover myself but it's not in the pages (laughs) yeah (laughs) and I love that because it's just I don't know, it feels like, I guess this probably wouldn't ring true for most people, but it feels like the kind of interactions I have with my sex geeky friends, yeah. like yeah. just sitting around talking about why we love something and just like, hang on, let me just show you. Hang <laughs> on. Like, yes, Bex, feels- and that's because that's where the, that's where the website, that's where it started was essentially yeah. me doing that with my sex geeky friends and wanting to share that. And so, you know, I think that it's it is like the the group of kinky friends that we all that many of us wish we had and that some of us are lucky to have access to but in your pocket literally all the time 3 minutes to you know 3 a.m. in the morning as you're, as you're about to like tie that you know those last ankles up you can just you know swing on <laughs> over to kink academy on your cell phone make sure that you're doing that tie right and then j- jump into the pervy fun yeah, you just, just put the blindfold on the bottom so they don't know. And exactly. you're like, no, no, I'm planning. Thank I'm goodness for blindfolds. Dom's <laughs> best friend. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, so Kink Academy, it's something that I'm just very proud of. And it really, the entire goal is to, um, at an accessible price, because we've we've always paid all of our educators. We, we have a 50% profit sharing program with our educators and with other um, sexuality resources. And so we're very community driven, um, you know, but still try to keep the price accessible. It's like 20 bucks a month right now. Um, there's, we're probably going to have an end of the year sale, you know, sale price to get your new year. The world is burning. So you might as well spank and fuck each other with a little bit more <laughs> pizzazz. Right. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's what kink Academy is, is, is is here on the planet for is to help y'all have pervy fun <laughs> excellent thank you so much Callie for joining us this was so awesome I learned so much so <laughs> um, can you tell people thank you so much for having me on you guys this was a fantastic interview I'm such a fan of your show you, you both do such important sexy work Aww. out in the world so thanks for having me <laughs> thank you <laughs> can you tell our listeners where they can find you online and where they can find your book Definitely. So my book is called Enough to Make You Blush, and you can find it at the website by the same name, enoughtomakeyoublush.com. And you can also find, I also have a workbook um, that goes along with the book and the verbal humiliation deck and a really fun um, humiliation truth or dare game that you can all get. (laughs) Also on my Enough to Make You Blush website. Um, But if you're an international listener, then you can order the book and the workbook on Amazon. Just look up Princess Callie or search um, Humiliation. Currently, my book is the only book on the topic. um, So you should find me. And uh, you can also check out um, Kink Academy at kinkacademy.com. And you can find us on Twitter at kinkacademy.com, at princess underscore.com, and then also Instagram, at kinkacademy, and at enoughtomakeyoublush.com. So pretty much, I'm out there. Just come find me. <laughs> Online. Not in, not in person. Don't be weird. <laughs> 
thank you. Uh, I have been Kate Sloan. Uh, you can find my sex blog at girlyjuice.net and the rest of my writing at katewritesaboutsex.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at girly underscore juice. Where's your stuff at? I'm Bex. You can find all my writing at bextalksex.com and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at bextalksex. Uh, together with the Dildorks, we're at thedildorks.com or by searching the Dildorks in your favorite podcast app while you're there. Hit uh, do a review. It makes us way easier to find and it makes me smile. Um, <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the Dildorks. This week, I want you to tweet at us with one thing you'd like to be humiliated about <laughs> <laughs> or you enjoy playing with with humiliation. That should be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to Protodome for letting us use his song I Want You In My Bedroom as our theme song and thank you to Amy Gardner who is at Starboots underscore for doing our art for us. Until next time folks get out there and live your sexy dorky life. Bye! Um, you mentioned, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, okay, there we go. I was literally about to say the exact sentence you are, so you can go for it. (laughs) No, you you should should do it. (laughs) Okay. Um, so that's great advice, but how, like, okay, wait. (laughs) Being on a podcast is hard. Um, (laughs) I think that's everything. Did you have any more? No, um... Is there anything that we didn't ask you about that you would love to talk about on the show before we wrap everything up? I think that was one of the most cohesive, <laughs> uh, well-prepared interviews actually I've ever had. And oh, so thank I, you. I, I let me think for a moment because I'm feeling like we hit on on the touch points. Um, yeah, I'm feeling pretty solid. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Thank you, you Callie. That was you. so great. Yeah, awesome. Although I love how after like an hour of being like inclusive and friendly, I'm like, but don't find me in person. Don't be weird. <laughs> like, and that's literally the last thing that I, that's actually very in line with my personality. It's like, <laughs> be friendly, teaching, teaching, but fuck off now. Thank you. <laughs> don't, don't show up. That's right. Yeah. So like, Thank you.